this episode of the Full Nerd, Old School Gaming. Welcome to a very special episode of The Full Nerd. I'm your host, Gordon Mong, with some very, very special guests. Uh, I'm not going with any favoritism, but I'm going to go from box to box on my screen. First, it is Kelt Reeves of Falcon Northwest. Hello, Gordon. And then it is Major Nelson, or Larry Herb, of course, of Xbox fame. Gordon, how are you? Great to see you. Thank you for having me. Great, great. Doing great today. I'm so glad you're here. And of course, we have Frank Azor, who is now at AMD. And of course, his roots go back to the old days of gaming as well with Alienware. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for coming. And we, I want to kick this off in, you know, I originally had the first question that I wanted to ask, what was your favorite game? But I kind of want to ask now because I'm, I'm really excited just to have you all here, but do you think I want to talk about DOS gaming? Cause I, I think that era of gaming was, is very special in everybody's hearts. And I'm going to wrap that in on the first question. What is your first DOS game that you played that you loved so much? I'll, I, I mean, I can jump in here a little bit. It feels a little weird because uh, you know, we talked specifically about DOS. I remember playing growing up in Connecticut, playing Microsoft flight simulator 1.0. Um, which was an inc- incredible experience. If you remember, this was a, if I recall correctly, Gordon and, and the rest of the panel, if you would correct me, I'm pretty sure it was on a self-bootable disc as well. So I'm not sure if that actually counts. I, I, yeah, was it? I, for some reason, well, I guess everything, because everything had to fit on that 360K floppy. So I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that was, that was, was the one that I remember the most and and seeing the, seeing the green outline of the Sears tower as you're going into Meigs field, that, that to me, I, I mean, I felt like I was flying. It was, it was because a lot of it that I like to remember is certainly we had these low def graphics on screen versus what we have today, but a lot of it is in here. We, our minds had to fill in the blanks and really it was, it was kind of the seamless um, melding of what we had in our mind and what we saw then on the screen. Yeah. That imagination fills it all in. Although yeah. I will have to say, the current flight simulator kind of like, oh, <laughs> uh, that whole like whenever you get the old farts, like, oh, I remember my imagination was so much more vivid than you look at actually flight sim today. It's like, oh, OK, actually. Yeah, actually. Wow. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Larry, what, what about uh, uh, Kelt? What about you? I say, Larry, I can see your oldness and raise you even older. Uh, I, I brought a few uh, props, I feel like carrot top with the you know, props here today. But uh, right. there's some MS DOS. 3.1 the uh the first games that i played you had to type them in yourself out right. of a book in dos and uh i'm gonna show the kids some of this so this was the manual for how you had to program your own game and then at the back five and a quarter floppies they don't know what it's, that is this is why the save icon looks like it does right there <laughs> that's what that came from but yeah, I, I started out with a TRS-80 Model 1, a Trash 80, it was called. And uh, this was 78, 79. So you had the cassettes, right? Uh, believe it or not, my uh, my dad got this from, from Radio Shack, which is where you got your candies. Right. Uh, he got it with no storage medium of any kind, not even <laughs> the cassette drive. 
So I would spend hours typing in the lamest game you could imagine in DOS, spend 10 minutes playing the horrible result of what I typed in. Uh, and then when I turned the computer off, it, it was gone. <laughs> uh, a, a year or two later, we finally got a little micro cassette drive. But um, yeah, the first games were, were you know, text. Um, and then, you know, eventually you could go to the hobby stores and buy uh, games like Zork. Um, and those kind of things were usually in uh, Ziploc bags. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on a pegboard. In the back of the it, store. It, yes, it was very <laughs> hobbyist back then. <laughs> but oh those, were the, those were the first games you could buy. We were happy. That you know that that's funny. That is a parent thing because my first computer was a Vic Twenty, bought at Toys R Us, and we did not get the the uh, the cassette either because like the parents are like, no, "I'm getting the computer. Yeah, it's all done. We're done. <laughs> you pay for the storage." You know, <laughs> it's like what? I'm like a kid. I can't afford so. But well, Frank, what about you? What's your uh, what's your memorable DOS game that you uh, you still wax my, poetic about? My first, I would say, like kind of like graphically intense dos game was links 386 that golf game if you guys remember that in the early 90s that was the first time i saw graphics on in a game that i was like this is this is pretty fascinating because before that it was similar to kelt story where it was text-based stuff or it was uh ultima that kind of stuff you didn't really see graphics or the graphics you did see were uh like uh asic characters uh you know uh, uh and it was very, just very, very primitive. But Lynx was the first one that I owned. I mean, I had played some other games and stuff, but that's, I think, the first one that I owned. But the one that I can remember now that was right, I think it was one of the last DOS games that I remember playing was uh, Command & Conquer Red Alert. Um, that was like one of the last ones, I think. And that had like real motion video in it. And for, it was, that was impressive. That was an awesome uh, experience. Yeah, incredible soundtrack for that too, if I remember. Yeah. You know what's yeah. interesting, Gordon, is you're talking about we're talking about graphics and DOS, but you know, when you when we talked about um that golf game, we also remember there was a time, and I can't remember exactly when it was, where the audio was no more bleeps and bloops, where we yes. had actual we had the golf swing, or we had oh, you know, we had a voice clip and but and you had I, to buy a sound, sound blaster yeah. gra- uh, sound card. <laughs> yeah. It was expensive. It was like a hundred dollars, I think. Yeah. I yeah. Soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. And then you needed speakers because before that it was the PC speaker and you would hear little beeps and bloops and whatever coming out of the P believe it or not, folks who are, who don't know what we're talking about. Desktop computers used to have speakers built into them, but not yeah. like the speakers you have now. It was just a like speaker. a, it was a speaker and it was like a prompt. It was like a beep kind of thing. It was, it was very weird. It's hard to describe it. Even though it's so primitive. <laughs> it was like Morse code back then. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was. And don't you remember, like, I, I can't remember. Wasn't it? Uh, was it uh, Wolfenstein where they they were able to digitize the audio where it probably took like, you know, it took over all the resources just to play one small digitized clip. Yeah, or do Duke Nukem mm, yeah. on some. I still yes. remember Wolfenstein saying, Halt, Schweinhund! <laughs> this yes. yeah. yeah, those are all, I mean, I was, I was amazed was, by that. That's why I remember it. <laughs> Wolfenstein was DOS. I think the original Doom was DOS too, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And this is a long time ago, so yes. my memory may not be perfect. But uh, yeah, I think those were all DOS as well. I remember on discs, actually another game that was very impressive to me uh, on DOS was Wing Commander. Um, and I had mm-hmm. the, the speech pack. And the speech pack was, to your point, Gordon, the speech pack was five, three and a half inch floppy disks, but the whole game was six disks. Yeah. So the speech took almost as much space as the 
as the whole game. And I think that's the one that had Mark Hamill in it, if I remember correctly. Yeah. That was, was three. It? Wing Commander three was the one. Okay. Yeah. Wing. Yeah. That, that was pretty impressive. I, I remember that because that, that was my demo at Comdex in, uh, I think, 95. <laughs> was it? People are furiously searching what Comdex is, right? Now. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, for, for people who don't know, Comdex was a, a computer show in Las Vegas and held in every November. And it was basically CES before CES got big. And then, of course, it sort of faded away in the late 90s, I think. Maybe early 2000s. Busted, yeah. Just kind of caved in. Do you, like, I, I don't, you know, the funny thing is, like, we take it for granted that, like, audio, something as just simple as audio now. And that was a huge, huge, you had to buy a separate sound card if you want higher-end audio. And yep. and it was, it, it was a ma- major resource in space because you know you couldn't really there were no mp3s and you couldn't really decompress it easily on the fly with the cpu because they weren't powerful enough but right it's just it's just one another thing that reminds me like wow we just take that so granted like for like well, nothing and initially when when the transition from dos to windows was occurring there was a while there where certain sound cards didn't work in windows they only worked in dos and then others worked in uh, dos that didn't work in windows <laughs> And we had a configuration at Alienware where we had one sound card output piping into the input of another sound card so that you can have two sound cards in your system and play all your DOS games with sound and your Windows games with sound. It was so complicated back then. <laughs> and it was not the most reliable configuration, as you can probably imagine. Well, but um, I, also, I also want to point out to your point, Frank, is that not just with game developers, but even folks like yourselves and, and create, you know, folks that built systems like help is there was immense, immense creativity. We, we were, we, we kind of were in the early days, kind of like the, 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 the Apollo um, astronauts were like, Oh, we've got all these things. We've got to figure something out. We want audio. How do we do it? And how do we connect it? Maybe we knew the hardware, but we didn't know the software or vice versa, but there was this drive because we knew where we could see where things were going. It was really exciting. Yeah, it was exciting, but it was uh, really hard. <laughs> like building a computer today is so easy compared to what it was 20 years ago. Two sound cards, you had a 2D video card, you had 3D video cards on top of the, and ch- chassis had to be huge because you still had CD-ROMs, DVD-ROMs. Then you had some, remember we had the the, the front panel audio, that creative made yep. a front panel, so that would take up a yep. five and a quarter inch bay. Or the Roland um, MIDI cards, you know, or, yeah. in addition to the soundbox card. Or you could get like if you were doing any digital video uh, at the time, they would you'd have front connectors. So we had these towers that were like massive. I mean, how tall were those things? I know um, you had to fit your zip drives and your jazz drives. Zip drive, <laughs> jazz drive. Purple and brown components. They're coming back. And every PCI Express. Well, there was no PCI Express. Sorry, every PCI slot was occupied. Yep. Yeah, Remember? I was. I was going to bring it up because if you. If you look up a, a 1990s enthusiast gaming rig, it was it was just every PCI slot was full, right? Every single one. It was yep. crazy. It was. It was again, it was, yeah. Gordon. I can see your oldness and raise you. Every Visa local bus slot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then to that point, and that's like what Larry was saying. You, then you had all this hardware, but then you had, remember you had to go into the operating system and start doing IRQ strings or DMA or any files. <laughs> yes and make sure there was no conflicts we used to have to go in and edit registries all the time uh yeah 
Kids don't know how good they have it nowadays. Don't forget your <laughs> SST statements for your 3DFX card. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you know, the other thing too is it's funny because we, in the modern era, people get really caught up in the, in the battles. Like it feels like, oh, everything's such a fight. Like you got to have this fight to that. You know, they're always fighting over these. Like I think back to the earlier days and they really were battles. Like you had to, you, you had the, uh, sound cards you had like rel 3d you had sound blaster and everybody you had 3d effects everybody wanted to establish and get in front of their competitors because if you could do that you had this huge advantage but yeah you were the standard yeah because you you if you develop that momentum your competitors couldn't catch you and all the dev- all the game developers are like well you've got the market share we're going to do 3d effects we're going to do this or that and then you you basically own the market and you can charge what you wanted. So yep. everything back then was a real battle where, you know, I, a lot of people sort of think it feels like today's kind of wars feel pretty minor compared to that, where if some one vendor owned something, they literally owned it. Yeah. Well, it's also, I, it's, oh, go ahead, Frank. I, I was just going to say, uh, you're right. There was, yeah, today we think about there being two graphics card providers and, you know, three and the third one coming up, but we had like, eight back then um if not more and we had you know we mostly everything is played today primarily on you know right direct x and a little bit of vulcan out there um but we had OpenGL, uh we had glide which is 3d effects is standard you had direct x coming up and i'm sure there's others out there that are but things were really complicated it was a yeah. tough time yeah um yeah barriers of entry were lower too like it was easier for a company to to make graphics cards back then than it is today um, and I think, you know, that was, that was in a good, that was good in some sense, but also a challenge because of the complexity we all had to manage. But the, ahead, the, the, no, I was just going to say this, what's also interesting is we forget because we're so, it's become so normalized is the, the cycles. And in other words, you know, you know, I could see something from Gordon posting about a video card or, or, or some piece of technology and that's happening real time. We had to go to the corner computer store or sign onto a BBS to check it out because this is pre-internet. So the information was much more fractured and things moved a little much slower in terms of how we found out. I, I only could go to the computer store once every two weeks because it wasn't even in my town. So I just, you know, just getting that knowledge base. And of course, we also you know, try to go to the library and read up on computer magazines, Byte Magazine and all the rest of them, right? Yeah. Now you bring up BBSs. Uh, most people probably don't know what those are. They, yeah. they have no understanding. That's, how would you even explain that today? <laughs> it's like... Mom, uh, hang up the phone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like remoting. It's like dialing into another person's computer, or maybe a very small network of computers back then, and each one had a node <laughs> that you would dial into, and there would be files shared and the, kind of the the early the early beginnings of a mess. Imagine Reddit, but instead of it sitting on the entire internet, it sat on like one computer. <laughs> Under some guy's desk people. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and only advanced. the people that have like four modems or three modems. So you right. have multiple people dialing and, in. And only the people that had access, the phone numbers to that BBS. And if it was free, the free, or if they had a paid subscription, could they talk to one another yeah. on that specific one individual server? And they knew how that, to dial in ADTT space, yes. star seven O comma, et cetera, et cetera. Re- re- exactly. <laughs> Remember that you have to, you used to have to know all the, the, the phone company's uh, commands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Man, well, I, I can't believe you remember the, the, the modem dial-up strings. That's just... I, that's I'm a impressive. phone nerd, and I'll tell you that whole story on another podcast. <laughs> so. I think Sorry, it's just admitted to... Uh, you, you, were, you were talking about the uh, old days when things didn't work right? Uh, we were talking about BBSs for a second <laughs> there, if you remember those. And tried, How would you describe a BBS to, uh, yeah. to somebody today Kel, that didn't live through that? Uh, I, so here's how old I am. I don't remember the term. <laughs> <laughs> a bulletin board system yeah, yeah. Bulletin board system. BBS, so that, yeah yeah so that's mainly how i got my uh my real start in in college um i was pirating so many video games it's we're, we're <laughs> over, past statue of limitations now you could say that it's okay over a local bbs um that uh eventually the the moderator of the bbs said like he, he was running a, a, a us robotics 16.8 modem i mean you know the, the really fast one but i was i was pirating so many games he was just like dude where are you why don't you come over and get them on floppies uh it turns out he was in the next apartment complex over um and uh for the last 24 years he's been uh, falcon's vice president so it, it, it worked <laughs> out in the end we now um we, we now buy games and I, I, I brought a, a boxed copy of doom thank on you floppy. I, <laughs> I, I for a while it was unopened because everyone had doom no one had bought it but uh, <laughs> I, i've since made good i've gone and apologized uh with pcs to the game gods like chris roberts and richard garriott who uh you know back when i was a penniless college student and pirated all their games I, <laughs> it, it took 20 years but i went through a, a piracy pendency project with those guys <laughs> i think they did okay i think they're just they're doing just fine um, you know that i i have a question here because it is interesting um originally you know computers were made for for business use right that's how they sold they wanted to sell them to companies and small business people to use and for some reason it, it was just natural for people like oh how do i play games in this thing even before games existed and it's yeah. like it's some kind of natural urge with humans where you want to take every single tool and how do I make a game out of this? I because those those early computers, especially PCs, they were you know IBM made them to make money off businesses and <laughs> somehow they turned them in, you know the average person you know the hobbyist turned them into to gaming machines. But those first early years, that was not something that people were proud of with their PC, um, even though we were advertising, you know, here's a PC designed to play games. That was not what people um, would admit to back then. It was very much a, a kind of closeted hobby, if you will. Um, people would call us up because, you know, there was no, no uh, interwebs then. People would call us up out of our, you know, print ads and computer gaming world and PC gamer. Um, and a lot of them, even if they uh, read gaming hobbyist magazines, it was kind of like, um, you know, the the uh, you were using a $3,000 piece of business hardware to goof off on yeah it wasn't something you were proud of and people would, would sometimes start the calls with us with like i'm ashamed to admit it but mainly i use my pc for gaming <laughs> i have to say you know sorry it, it, it's okay here you're, you're the word safe space didn't exist back then but we had to, to tell them you know you're among friends we actually design these two play games on it's okay if you know all you do is goof off of this you don't have to pretend you bought it for your business <laughs> yeah cal to that point we had um when i was in i worked in radio in connecticut in the 90s we we got our PCs and every evening the three or four nerds in this in the radio station would get together and after you know, we closed down Lotus one two three we would we would we would try to figure out how to do a LAN and it was crazy but it also what you just described also brought 
into another invention that a lot of people listening or, or watching may not remember. And that, of course, is the boss mode or boss key. Right. And a lot of people may not remember that where you had a special keystroke so that if the boss walked in, it looked like you're working on the spreadsheet. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I often tell my employees as I walk past them and I see that, you know, alt tab happening. I'm like, dude, I've been boss keyed by the best of them. <laughs> I know what it means. <laughs> yeah, that is literally a thing for people who don't know. There was a command or a, or a, a, a key on your keyboard you would press and a fake spreadsheet would come out or a fake word <laughs> processing thing would come out. You would sit there and you try to slow your breathing down because you obviously were worked up. Now you're like, okay, I breathe normally because you would not be that excited about a spreadsheet. About a report. (laughs) Uh, I do actually have a a really good question from uh, from the chat. Uh, A friend of the show, Flash Photos, asking, uh, can you ask Kelton and Frank, what got them to start a PC company around gaming when it used to be viewed as taboo and and like such a small market? Kelt, you were first, buddy. (laughs) <laughs> you were you were before Alien were, so I'll let you start. Sure. Uh, I I distinctly remember um, in college reading uh, Computer Gaming World, which I'd read for years, and again that was the you know closet nerd, you know, less than a hundred thousand circulation only gaming magazine in existence, really. Um, back then, this was you know late eighties, uh, and I, I was looking through there and noticing that no one had ever advertised a computer in computer gaming world <laughs> and it was just because again it was not a, a hobby that anyone was proud of you didn't you know admit that you were using your business pc purchase to goof off on uh, even myself uh, my uh, my apple 2e at the time uh, where i did most of my gaming i had to in college you know convince my parents that my apple 2e just wasn't keeping up for my schoolwork you know i just uh, i don't know the the Typing the the term papers just you know didn't seem to go fast. I don't know how I justified it to be honest. I'm glad I did because now I have a career. But uh, uh, back then, the real reason that uh, I wanted to move to PC and this was um, you know 88 89 was uh, Ultima Five had come out with VGA graphics. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that. Um, so basically, when I was uh, about to get out of, of uh, uh, college, I spent years getting. Uh, uh, a degree in aeronautical science and lots and lots of um, piloting licenses, which are just on my wall. No one needed pilots after the uh, the first Gulf War. And so I figured if I didn't make my own job, I wasn't going to have one. Um, and so I decided, hey, nobody's tried to sell a PC in computer gaming world. So um, that was uh, 92, 93. Um, and, you know, I am uh, 31 years later, I am here talking to you luminaries. So <laughs> The hundred grand my parents spent on aviation college did not work out, but the goofing off uh, and and, and talking them into getting a PC, that that worked out. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you guys, um, I just, we actually, when was it, last week, uh, uh, Nelson, the uh, founder and the CEO of Alienware, um, and I did a podcast on uh, NPR, uh, Guy Raz, if you've ever heard of his uh, podcast, How I Built A Marketplace, sure. Yeah. Um, so the How I Built This Podcast, it just came out. And uh, you can hear, if you want to hear more history about Alienware and the findings of it, it's a really good hour and 15 minutes to to just hear how Nelson came up with the idea and everything. But um, one of the things he says in the podcast is uh, just how influential Kelt was on everything that he did. And, uh, you know, Nelson originally had a uh, regular computer company, if you will, non-gaming computer company. Um, but he kept getting requests from friends and family around uh, getting the computer that could play these games. Again, in that closet kind of fashion, like don't tell anybody, but I also want this thing to play games. 
And eventually he came across a Falcon Northwest ad um, and said, wow, look at these guys. They're selling these computers uh, in this magazine. I'm going to try and do the same thing. <laughs> and that was how it happened. Um, I mean, Kel is the OG of selling gaming computers uh, via, via magazine if you are advertisement or over the phone. And then, uh, uh, you know, Alienware followed too pre pretty quickly thereafter. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to think about like, that's how we used to do it back then. <laughs> we used to advertise and you'd have to pick up the phone and call and speak to a stranger and then give them your thousands credit card of your money, <laughs> thousands of dollars of your money, uh, adjust that for inflation. And just imagine like we were selling computers uh, back then for four or five, six thousand dollars. I mean, Kelp still sells them for that amount uh, today and more. But adjust that for inflation just to give you an idea. I mean, you could buy a car for about that back then and you're blindly giving somebody your credit card information and then they're telling you it's going to show up in a few weeks <laughs> you're hoping <laughs> and praying that this company you've never heard of ne never heard of before is going to make industry you've never heard of a, yeah exactly <laughs> is going to make do on their promise and actually send you what you've been an, eagerly anticipating here and that you've already paid for 20 30 40 days in advance it was it was a different time completely different time it is so funny that it just was not seen as a something a normal person did though you know and it was just a side thing that do we that look normal went, to you gordon does anybody I, here look <laughs> well you know i i i i, I so i want to get into the next phase of 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 gaming pc gaming especially where i i think you know we had gone through all these wars where everybody every hardware vendor was trying to get a leg up over the other hardware vendor for their own advantage and it feels like the the next era that really kind of changed the course of PC gaming. Um, and I, in a lot of ways, gaming was the introduction of Windows 95 and DirectX, right? Because, you know, for people who don't know, well, I guess everybody watching this or listening knows DirectX is an API that you play games on. But back then, again, you had, you had each company with their own API and they didn't work with each other's APIs. And it was a nightmare for game developers because they'd have to make them for every single product and validate them for all of that stuff. And Windows 95 felt like, and DirectX felt like it was the, that turning point in the, in the history of PC gaming. Would, would you three agree or? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely uh, helped solve those problems, which were huge problems. And uh, just to give you an idea of the consequence of those problems that DirectX solved, um, if you owned a 3DFX graphics card that, let's say, I think it only supported Glide at the time, if I remember, that was the API Glide. But you bought a game that was an OpenGL game, right? Or, or a DirectX game, but uh, mostly it was really an OpenGL issue. That game just wouldn't work on your graphics. You just could not play that game on your computer. And for a lot of people that aren't technical, um, that's... You, you buy the game at the store, like Larry was talking about. You went to your store. You may have driven an hour or more to go get it. You paid a lot of money back then. It could have been 40 or $50 back then, which would be probably equivalent to over $100 today for this game. Um, you installed it because it would install, and the install could have meant 10 discs that you went through, one of two or one an of, hour 10, of two time. Of ten, an hour. Then you patch the game, and to find a patch, remember how you used to have to go to these weird, obscure websites to try and find the patch yep. and just hope and pray that they didn't have a virus uh, inside the patch? Then you patch the game. You hope that the patch loaded correctly, and then you go to open up the game, and it says, oh, not compatible with your system <laughs> after all that. 
I mean, that was the PC gaming experience in the late 90s. It I'll tell you, rough. Frank, and to build on that a little bit, imagine you did that, but imagine while you're in, you're on disc like 8 of 12, and because remember, they they shipped with manuals back then, and you'd get to like the last, because you're getting nothing to do, so you're rating and you're reading the manual, and you get to the end, and you get to the compatibility page, and you're like, uh-oh. And you realize, <laughs> so instead of getting the error, you're, you get the, you're, you're like, oh, wait a minute, you're, you're down in your hands. Oh, no, I have this. I, oh, no. And it, and then everything goes south, right? Yeah, and then not all stores would take the game back because they right. assumed you pirated it. Yeah. So now you have these floppy disks for a game that they assumed you pirated and they wouldn't take the return and you're out all this money. And DirectX started to really help solve many of those problems. Kel, you were going to say something? Sorry. Uh, do you remember when in the manual, and yes, Doom had a manual, believe it or not, for, you know, as complex as it was. Do you remember in the manuals when they would actually have uh, certain code words on the on the bottom of the pages where to yeah. prove that you got a legit copy, you would have to have the manual and type in the secret word from, it would prompt you, go to that, page eight of your manual. Yep. <laughs> well, the keys. Word. The, the keys. Okay, you're, you're, that was pri- uh, you know piracy control back then. Yeah, <laughs> so. and I, in fact, remember who did that, who, who had fun with that was Infocom with their mm-hmm. with their games because they had the physicals those things that were that usually you know contributed to the game and you know witness would have one you'd pull it out and what's what's the what's the name of the on the back of the matchbook I have no idea on the matchbook right mm-hmm. it was it was a different take on that different types of uh, piracy control yeah. DirectX really just changed everything and it changed uh it, that was our first step into legitimacy uh in in PC gaming. So this tiny company in, in Oregon with you know a handful of employees, we got approached by Microsoft um, from some guys you may have heard of, Larry, uh, Alex St. John and Jason Robar yep. um, came to us and they uh, were basically like, we want to, uh, I think it was called, that was the Games SDK, yep. Games Software Development Kit back then. Um, we want to basically ensure that all the games run on all the gaming PCs. And so they had us up to uh, the MTC suites in, in Redmond, Washington. And we sat there for a weekend along with every other PC manufacturer, each in a suite. And the Microsoft guys and all the game developers brought beta copies of their games with the DirectX API around to the different suites to run on our PCs just to see if they could work out compatibility bugs. And we were really thrilled because nobody had any problems with our stuff. But it was also a really, really boring weekend because, you know, <laughs> nothing exciting happened, no bugs to solve. But I remember just sitting around in a hotel room going, oh, so that's DirectX. Huh? The little little fox runs really quickly across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Did it change? I, I mean, because as you were hardware vendor selling, you know, mostly game uh, machines for DOS and then post DirectX, did it sort of make it a lot easier to sell machines? And I'm sure it must have made the support less of a headache. Uh, not at first. There was a, a huge. Um, uh, uh, it, it was it was definitely a lot of teething pains, um, but DirectX was kind of the first. Um, uh, effort by a huge company to standardize things. Um, and, you know, Windows uh, 3.1 as a gaming platform, it was it was a joke. You know, real gamers were DOS. Yeah. <laughs> Frank, you remember that. It was, you know, it was, n- nobody gamed on Windows. Um, and so it was a huge effort from Microsoft to make um, DirectX and Windows 95 then 
uh, a gaming platform. And uh, and so I said, when you're ready for for the long story, I, I can I can tell you the story behind this 27 year old <laughs> bottle of Microsoft soda that I got on the the night DirectX officially. <laughs> <laughs> took over. What is a, so, I'm you... so jealous of Kelt souvenirs. He is a much better collection than anything I have. <laughs> what does the label say on that, Kel? So this is, if you guys are ready for this story, everybody had their coffee because this, this is a long, weird one. <laughs> uh, but this is uh, Microsoft Brainwash Soda, which was given out at a massive event. It was the event uh, that launched DirectX 1 on Windows 95. Windows 95 launched... Um, and they still had a lot of work to do to basically, you know, convince people. So I got this at the Judgment Day 1995 Halloween party, which was in the Microsoft parking garage. And Microsoft had hired some type of uh, Hollywood type production company, spent word was, you know, over a million turning the Microsoft parking garage into a haunted house where they had invited all of the DOS game developers that they were trying to woo to DirectX, like uh, id Software and Activision, um, trying to basically give uh, Windows gaming a coming out party. And so uh, they got the guys at id Software um, to, I think, manage a lot of it. And id uh, merged a popular... Um, I think it was the, one of the first esports networks. It was called Dwango. They were running a uh, Doom Deathmatch, and they wanted to have the championship of the two best esports wasn't even a term then. The two best Doom head-to-head players have their finals on stage at the Microsoft Judgment Day haunted house, and it was sort of this weird mix of one of the first big esports tournaments along with a Microsoft uh, sort of sponsored trade show with all of the game developers coming in, setting up Halloween sort of themed booths in the haunted house and a haunted house party hosted by Jay Leno. I missed that part because I was in the back doing setup. <laughs> and uh, this was one of the strangest, weirdest parties and probably the um, probably the event that got Microsoft to be um uh, to have the reputation of of being um, very cautious <laughs> since um, I, I even had to go Google to refresh my memory on some of this that I didn't know of, of like uh, Alex St. John getting kicked out of his own event evidently happened there. But um, let's see, what should I start with? Uh, so it was mainly a gaming trade show and they'd invited um, companies like Activision Aid to set up not booths, but haunted house areas in the parking garage. And so it was like this incredibly high budget, you know, best haunted house that you could ever imagine. So I remember Zombie Studios had this like huge Tesla coil, you know, the kind you'd see in the movies. Um, And they had like this, you know, fake zombie there. And they were like, you know, zombie brand zombies, the best zombies. That was their, you know, their booth. Um, And Activision did uh, a a big jungle theme, um, you know, basically created a jungle in the parking garage uh, for Pitfall, the Mayan adventure. And then the weirdest one, um, and I remember this one distinctly, id Software handed their uh, booth over to the band Guar, which was a costumed, like, acid metal 
I mean, Kiss has nothing on the costumes these guys have. Just like literally monstrous. Um, their 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 booth I remember was filled with like uh, fake blood styrofoam that we had to crawl through while the band was there playing, throwing stuff at you, yelling at you. Guar dripped blood on me. <laughs> it's, um, got through that, and then uh, very late into the evening was the esports tournament. And one of the big reasons why we were there is we were going to present a $10,000 gaming PC to the winner of the Doom Deathmatch 95. And the event had kind of gone off the rails. <laughs> We'd come up from the, uh, from the uh, haunted house. The band that was evidently uh, an id favorite, um, they had dressed like the Pope, Jesus, and Satan. And we're evidently playing stuff that was so off the rails that uh, Alex St. John uh, was fighting with his PR people about whether, like, evidently they pulled their their, their their mics, they tried to shut them down. Alex St. John had evidently tried to get them, you know, back. They were playing through the tournament. I didn't know about this part, but I read it on uh, on the, uh, the Doom Wiki that Alex St. John had had an argument with his boss and gotten kicked out of his own event. <laughs> and the band played on. The tournament went on late, late into the night. The id guys were all uh, very well into their cups, as you'd say, but then shouting just things like more carnage at the players. Uh, and eventually, uh, Dennis, a.k.a. Thresh Fong, won the Doom Deathmatch 95, and I presented him with the $10,000 Mach 5 gaming PC, and I think he might have been the the start of the the first esports star back then. <laughs> wow, that was, was quite a journey. Probably Microsoft's wildest night. Um, the the sequel event uh, had evidently gotten canceled. <laughs> and uh, Larry, I am very interested to know if any of those people, uh, if if again, a lot of this is, a, is my own recollections mixed with the stuff I didn't see and read on the Doom Wiki. Oh, right. I, I almost forgot Bill Gates appearing in. Wind Doom. <laughs> one of the starts of the actual presentation of the esports was um, some footage of Doom, Bill Gates being green screened into that yeah. <laughs> very, very awkwardly. And if, if you guys want a good laugh, Google uh, Bill Gates in Doom 1995, and you can see that video in very low resolution um, of Bill Gates kind of awkwardly saying that you know, Windows is the platform that you're going to want to play Doom and other games on. He was right. But it was uh, it was an awkward start. It's <laughs> just different. It speaks to the the era. I I do want to ask you, has it changed a lot? Because I mean, and I think we touched on this before the show started. But back then, it, you could do anything. Like from a business point of view, I'm sure you know, Larry. You you have a different you know perspective of then to now. Yep. It is so sophisticated, so controlled. Maybe a little too much today versus that era back then but people it's it felt like anything 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 would go back then well i think gordon to your point i i would actually argue that you know certainly we're talking about 1995 and and kel you actually have thrown down the gauntlet because i'm gonna i am actually really good friends with the team who runs microsoft archives who has amazing stuff i mean this stuff would blow, we should do a show from there sometimes but I'm going to see if I'm going to send them an email and see if they have anything from this legendary event, including your beverage. Um, <laughs> but, but, to, but, to, but to your jalapeno flavored that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
But to your point, I, I would actually say that certainly they changed 20 years. They've actually changed in the past five years. Events have gotten tr- dramatically different in five years in terms of the games industry is so much more inclusive now. Um, you know, 10 years ago it was kind of the same old as it was the five years before. But in the past five or six years, the inclusivity and the diversity has just been incredible uh, in terms of who is who gaming now appeals to and who we're trying to appeal to as well. And the age range is, is huge. It's it's not just for, uh, you know, old old guys with money. <laughs> well, no, I also you know, it's funny you say that because I was I was thinking about have you guys have you guys ever chatted with Shirley Curry? She's the 85 year old grandma who plays Skyrim. Ah, Um, But, you know, that's to your point, that's at the other end of the spectrum. But these, you know, gaming, as we've learned at Xbox, you know, gaming is universal. When I when I go out into the public, and I'm talking to people who are gamers. Usually I have a spouse or a partner with them. Like, I I don't really play games. And I ask, like, well, let's take a look at your phone. Oh, I've got this on there. It turns out they are gamers. It's just the definition of what a gamer is means something different to a lot of different people. Everybody plays games. My mother plays games. My wife plays. Everybody plays games to a certain degree. Yeah, I agree. My my wife logs way more hours than me, but it's all on her phone. So, right. <laughs> but yeah, I think the market has changed drastically. I mean, to what Larry said, it's the diversity is is very broad now. And I think a big part of it is because gaming is just so accessible. Um, yeah. You know, those those problems that we faced with PC gaming little by little started to get innovated and, and resolved. Um, you know, Microsoft huge leap forward for the entire industry with DirectX. Uh, you know, back then patching games was a big problem. Getting games was a big problem. Like Larry talked about having to go to the store um, and compatibility was a big issue. I remember when Steam first came out from Valve and how controversial that was. And the yeah. idea that, you would download your games over the internet and they would be automatically patched for you. And just how resistive the uh, industry was to that whole, I'm not going to put a, a piece of software that runs all the time on my computer, but then people were saying that Valve was going to track them and all these horrible things, right? And now it's pretty much exclusively how we get our games. Then computers themselves started to get more affordable because instead of needing to have every single PCI slot taken up and having to have all these disk drives, um, you know, companies like Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, they started integrating more and more and more into the chipset and into the processor and into the motherboard. And now most PCs, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Kel, they only have like a graphics card populated by and large in terms of a PCI Express slot. Everything else is integrated into the, 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 the motherboard somehow, some way. That reduced cost, that reduced complexity considerably. Um, and then a lot of innovations occurred as well. We haven't even gotten into the whole console versus PC war no. that occurred, right? But then when Microsoft came on with Xbox and everybody was talking about the death of PC gaming because of just how much innovation uh, Microsoft brought to gaming. And they kind of took the best of PC, in my opinion, and the best of console solved a ton of problems, brought them together and built the direct Xbox, right? Um, and it put PC on notice in a lot of ways. And then PC had to out in, I don't want to say out innovate, but had to re-innovate a bunch of stuff or start no, that's innovating okay. I'll again. back you up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Um, PC had to kind of innovate again to, to save itself. And it's just like, we came so far in solving all these problems. And I think as we did that, it just started getting more accessible. Prices got lower, the complexity, the barriers of entry, all these things started getting simpler, easier, and it became more and more appealing to more and more people. And you didn't have to be an IT professional anymore to uh, be able to figure out how to get a game to work on your PC. 
And then like Larry talked about, you know, you asked people, what apps do you have on your phone? Then tablets and phones and all these things suddenly made it even that much more accessible because you don't even have to be at your TV or at yeah. your computer anymore to play games. Like that's how we used to have to play games is where is there a TV or where is there a computer? Now they're with you, you know, on 24 seven, which sounds bad actually, but they're in your pocket with you pretty much anywhere. And if you want to fire up a game of anything as simple as chess online to, uh, I don't know, something PUBG or I don't know, whatever, I don't play mobile games right now, but whatever is the most popular mobile game out there, you have like this whole world of games accessible in your pocket, which is pretty amazing. You know, to your your point, Frank, you know, we talked about the accessibility and it's something we've we've seen. And I had the pleasure of working with a lot of these innovators in the early days of Xbox when I first started. Um, But we've seen so much change with the the models. You talked about Steam and and Gabe and his team have done tremendous work over there of normalizing and accepting this concept of digital games. But beyond that, we we also saw, you know, we've done some work in that space with like with PC Game Pass. Instead of worrying about, oh, does this am I gonna like this game? And we 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 think about it this way with like Game Pass, where you pay a subscription, you get access to over a hundred games and more, is is you it changes the conversation from what what should I buy to what should I play? And because you have access to all these games. So that's that's one thing that we're we're really focused on. And then build on top of that. We have, you know, we have streaming. So to your point in your, in your pocket, you now have Halo Infinite that you can play or get your dailies in Apex or any of these other types of games. So we're, we're just extending the concept and, all, and it all builds off of PC to your point. Everything that Xbox is today is as a result of all those people that Kelt mentioned in that garage back in the day in Windows 95. I still like to refer to consoles as uh, the gateway drug, and we like to, especially for the the uh, the younger crowd. You know, they may start gaming on a phone nowadays, whereas they used to start on console. But they're now, you know, moving to PC eventually. But uh, Larry, what you were saying is exactly right. It's now the title is with you know, Xbox Game Pass or PC Game Pass. The title is universal. It's really you know how much hardware do you want to throw at it? How good do you want it to look? Right. And it's a very familiar experience to the gamer, and it's just so much easier these days and, and more inclusive. Yeah, and to the point. To the point. One more thing is, is I know that you know we talked about Windows ninety five, but the Windows team, like with Windows eleven, they've done amazing and incredible work about games. Is still part of their of their remit and making games run great on whatever version of Windows you have. I do want to ask you because Frank touched on it a little bit earlier, but you know. I, the the when the xbox came out it it was the you know the the new sibling mm-hmm. the pc was pc gaming was you know the older sibling and you know any household you only care about the baby uh <laughs> and it didn't feel like for many wow. years there was this tension in the family but i feel like now it's very different now i mean cause, yeah. you know before it used to be we were always at odds but you know microsoft very much is you know you have you have xbox you either play games on xbox or you play it on your pc and it really it feels like the family is is getting along much better now would you say yeah oh without a doubt i mean when you know what phil spencer's done we talks about when everybody plays we all win that's that's we we take that very to heart and whether you're playing on your console whether you're playing on your pc a great example of that is one of my favorite one of my favorite um peripherals is the xbox adaptive controller which was built from the ground up 
to work both on console and PC for folks that need a little extra something. And, and it's, it's, this, is, this is an incredible, incredible device that I'm so proud of what the team has done with this. And this crosses the bridge. It doesn't matter whether it works on console or PC. We just want people to play games. That's the most important thing. It, I agree, Larry, but it wasn't, it didn't always feel that way, no. very honestly. I think Phil has done a phenomenal job of changing the culture um, because prior to working with him, it felt a lot like it was all about for Microsoft, the Xbox and Xbox gaming. And it felt that way, at least as a PC provider. I always felt like, you know, there was, it, it, there was actual competition going sure. on. And got a chance to meet with Phil a long time ago and hear his strategy and his vision. And he's executed it exceptionally well. And it has been all about now, how does everybody play games? It's like, it feels like, I mean, the, just the strides that have been made around backwards compatibility on yeah. consoles was a huge feature benefit of PC. And then having cross-platform games as well and having a lot of the Xbox games run on Windows and vice versa and I mean, it's, we're night and day different today than we were you know, 15 or so years ago when, whenever it was that the Xbox uh, came out. And what, I'm, what I've found is that more and more gamers, we started to see it uh, like 10 years ago, but nowadays people play the games more than they play the devices. Yep. And when they want to play a game that's best formatted for a TV, there's nothing better than a console. Uh, trust me, I've tried and failed miserably with the, the Steam machine uh, to play anything on a TV better than a console. Right? But when it comes to playing at a, at a PC or at a, on a monitor setting at a two-foot experience, that closer two-foot experience like we're all in right now, I'm going to say I think PC is the best that's out there to do it. And uh, because each one of those devices has done such a great job of catering to that use case, um, they, I think they, they continue to dominate th those games, those genres, those environments as much as they do. Uh, and I think they're, thri they're both thriving as a result of that. Um, and the truth is, is I think a console industry without a PC gaming industry wouldn't be as far ahead as it is today and vice versa. I think uh, yeah. just in general, uh, competition's good and uh, it's what's gotten us to where we are today. You know, you talked about the, the moment ago about it. You felt like this PC was maybe a second-class citizen. That may have been the case back in the day and certainly it's not anymore. But I think it also because the, our business has evolved and you've seen, we talk about Game Pass and things like this. We're, we're about getting people to, play, to your point, getting to play games wherever they want to. Do you want to play on a mobile device? Do you want to play on a PC monitor? Do you want to play on a big TV and how do you want to play? That's why a lot of the development for PC gaming, like in Windows 11, we've got the, the controller bar and HDR work. All of that work comes from what we did on the console. And a lot of what we've done on Windows goes back in the console. So it's, it's to your point, Phil has done an amazing job of, of forging forward, of just letting people play games where they are. And that's what it's all about. He wants everybody to play games. That's it. Everybody's a multi-platformer these days, it feels like. Yeah. You know, they yeah. have a, a Steam Deck, they've got a console living room, they've got their PC, and you just, and you got your phone, right? Yeah. You just play whatever you're going to play, so. Yeah. But now, as of today, you can play Steam in your Tesla, even. Uh, so. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, they announced today that they're putting Steam games on Tesla vehicles. I mean, that's how far we've come as an industry, which is pretty absurd, if you ask me, like, or who would have ever imagined, not much like cars that would have gotten to where they are now, but that you can actually play full-blown PC games in a, in a car. That's, that's the power of gaming. Like, that's how far we've come from these obscure garages 
and this closetness that we were talking about earlier, where you're just afraid to tell people that you're playing games and you're going to be judged. And I mean, I was in school when a lot of this was coming up and I had three friends that played games and we were the nerds and we were the outcasts and we were the embarrassed ones. Right. And uh, the, the, the teachers would call one of us when one of the computers in the classroom was broken. And keep in mind, the classroom only had one computer inside of the entire classroom. Right. And now, I mean, how far we've come that cars now have games integrated into them natively. It's uh, whether the relevance of it or not, it's questionable debate of all that, but it's just such a huge milestone of progress. That is, I think a moment where, you know, in five years and 10 years, do more cars start having games in it? Is that the next gaming platform? Maybe, maybe not, but what a moment in history that just like these moments keep coming up. It's, it, it hasn't gotten boring at all yet. It's still extremely exciting. Well, to your point, that's, that's, you know, I've been at Microsoft for 20 plus years. That's why I'm still here. Cause I, I see the stuff we're working on in the future. And I'm like, I want to be part of that. I want to help. I want to help forge the future. And that, that's what you're right. There's where are we going? Who knows, but we got, it's going to be great. <laughs> 31 years running Falcon. And honestly, it's the new toys that keep me, uh, keep it exciting for me. You know, I, you know I, I just got a new Radeon from Frank and it's, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kelp. <laughs> I appreciate that. And it fits in our micro towers. Yes. <laughs> That's a big plus. And, and Larry, you're, you know, even though you're very much, you're always so associated with the Xbox yeah. consoles, you actually are having a new gaming PC. I, I didn't, are you, how long have you, I mean, obviously you've been doing it for a long time. You're, you're a big PC gamer too. Yeah, I mean it's it's the the guys uh, Falcon and, and AMD. They sent me this amazing, and I wish I could show it to you, but it's sitting on the floor over here. It's it's this beautiful. I'll put some photos on my Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Halo Infinite with the Halo card in it. It's it's extraordinary. Um, yeah, I mean I, I I use I love PC gaming because again to the point of it's I like to game. Sometimes I want that two foot experience, and to be honest with you. Sometimes I spend all day in, in, in at work in front of a machine. I don't want to be two feet away. I want to be 10 feet away in front of right? I feel you 100%. Yes. Right? The last thing you want to do is, is open up another window on your, on, your, on your PC. But, you know, being able to, I love being able to test out the latest. And we talked about Steam. They've always got some great indie games up there. And that's such a, such a beehive of activity. And it kind of allows me a glimpse of where the industry is going in some regards in terms of content design decisions. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love, I love PC gaming and, and at the end of the day, I mean, I think we've all proved it many times over during this past hour. We're all nerds, right? We all like to roll up our sleeves and see what the latest thing is. I am so excited to boot this PC up and see what it can do and, and crank everything up to ultra. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's gamers are gamers. I I've been PC gaming for so long before I was ever into consoles. And again, like Frank, we spend all day doing this. Now you want to do a little bit of, you want to do a little bit of 10 foot gaming. Yeah. I, I, I suffer from the very same thing. I mean, I'm in front of this, <laughs> this camera and this desk and this monitor that I'm talking to you guys in here, eight, nine, 10 hours a day. And I stand, if you notice, I'm always moving because I'm, I stand at my desk. I can't yeah. sit for too long. My back just can't stand it. Um, so what do I do when I'm done here is I go to what we call the, uh, the, the uh, I have two sons and I only have two sons. So my wife is severely outnumbered here, but we have the bro lounge where uh, the guys go and we hang out and we play Xbox or, uh, you know, we play board games, we play chess or they have a whole Lego center over there, but I sit down in a recliner and uh, I'll sit there and I'll play. And it's a change of environment. Now I can sit, yeah. I can sit back. I'm not standing anymore. I can get maybe an hour or so of gaming. 
And what I've been doing lately is playing old games on uh, on the Xbox. Um, Tell playing, me what you're uh, playing, Frank. Uh, oh man, what's the the box? I need you. Game? I need you to check out Vampire Survivors. It's a newer okay. game, but it's eight bit. It's unbelievable. I will Anybody check it out. I'm it. not going that old. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm going to Xbox 360 games. So yeah. I was playing Fusion Frenzy the other day because it brought it took me back you know, to the original Xbox. And then oh, what's the boxing one that's super old too? KO um, Boxing? Oh, uh, it looks, um, the graphics are incredible. I can't believe it's a two-generation old uh, game. Fight it was night? on Game Pass. Fight, Fight night? night? Yes, Fight Night. Yeah, Fight Night. Um, I think you guys just removed it from uh, from Game Pass like a few weeks ago or so. I was playing that, beat that whole game, which was incredible. Um, but I love being able to go back to some of the other games because I didn't get to play them back when they were relevant. Well, you know, you know they're on my list of games to play, and I didn't like, like that time didn't pass me anymore like it would have, you know, prior to backwards compatibility. What you're talking about, Frank, is, is something that, that Phil talks about frequently, and that is preserving the art of games, which and what we've seen, we, we've had someone this happened to somebody at work and it hasn't happened to me yet because um, my daughter's a little too young, but somebody booted up and with Xbox 360 booted up an old Xbox 360 game. And there was a game save from 2006 and they just picked up and kept playing. And it was, and they were able to play and enjoy that experience with their son and or their daughter. Um, so the, the, they're, they're, they're now sharing this share, this game history that the, the, that the parent had or the parents had with their family. And it sounds like a little bit like what you're doing. Um, that's and that's something you that, I'm trying to get a rock band four set because I want my kids to go through the rock band experience. We had so much fun playing yeah. around. This is turning into a console fan thing. Guys, I swear to you, I'm a 95% PC gamer. I'm true, true. But there's some good console memories as well. And there's, but I, I've been, I, I, now I'm, anyways, people want a lot of money for rock band four. By yeah, they the do. way, on the gray market, they want like $200 plus for yeah. a set and they're beaten up and they're beat to crap. But I think, Five is coming out. It was announced to come out in 2023. So I'm holding out for that. But I want to do that now with my kids. I got a 10 and a 13 year old. And now they're like of age where they can, you know, not play the guitar, but play the rock band guitar and <laughs> do the drums. And I want to share that experience with them. Uh, so, but if I did buy Rock Band 4, I know it would work. If you have any three, if you have any three person songs that are good in rock band, drop it in the chat, please. So that uh, Frank can take a look at it for his, for his band. <laughs> you know, yeah. actually, the, I, I, does anybody have any recommendations? Because I love your idea, but um, my household, no surprise, we're pretty much PC gamers. It's either mobile gamers or PC gamers. That'd be perfect. Game I could play okay, with Gordon. my two kids, but that I don't suck at. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I, I can tell you, you will need, two kids to help you get through Elden Ring. So <laughs> Elden Ring on PC, I, I finished it. I've got like 200 hours in it, but some of those boss battles, I mean, I, I actually have kind of a, a wound right here and my middle mouse button is broken <laughs> from Elden Ring. And were it not for my children being so much better and having such better reflexes than me, I would not have finished Elden Ring. So yeah, your, your children these days, they, you know, when you get old enough, they help you through your PC accomplishments. I, uh, but I mean, you all play as a band, like you're, yes. Oh, you, I love that idea. You summon, you summon your children when you need help, you put down your summoning sign on the floor, a 13 year old appears and will help you kill millennia. When was that moment? Do you remember the moment Kelt, where, your kids demonstrated that they were now the superior gamers in your household. It wasn't you anymore. It was the day after I got them their PCs. 
<laughs> that was quick. I wish I was joking. I, I I've been playing uh, Terraria, which is a little eight bit um, yeah, yeah. sort of a, a I guess Minecraft two D simmy kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. with uh, with uh, my my younger son and. We got to the point where he was so far out ahead of me, I just couldn't keep up anymore. We couldn't, we couldn't go to the same levels anymore. Well, you know, it's like, interesting, Cal, because that this is just part of the younger generation who grew up on screens and they grew up on multitasking and they grew up on the ability to to modify their environment. I've said this many times because, of course, Microsoft, we own Minecraft. Minecraft is the playground of this generation. When you when this everybody on this call grew up, we were at the playground and if we got out of, out of line you know somebody cracked us in the head or pushed us off the seesaw or what have you in minecraft they kick you off the server or don't give you rights right it's it's just it's the new playground and that's where they're learning some of the and, and now they can build the you know you and i could build a, a sandcastle in, in the playground but in their playground they can build the monument they can build whatever they want it's extraordinary it's just interesting how the the younger audience has has grown up with these digital tools yeah it's uh, for me. It was uh, Fortnite a few years ago when it first came out. It was really like the other than uh, than Minecraft and R- Roblox. It was really like the first, you could say, kind of violent uh, first-person shooter that I let them play. Even though it's pretty subdued, the violence. But I'm like destroying them, schooling them. All that lasted about two weeks, um, and then we we got into a match, and they did like a, a custom map, one v one, a third-party custom map. One v one me, bro. Yeah, and then they were <laughs> laughing at me. And at that point, it was like, all right, let, let, let's play something else. Uh, I'm trying to scramble to find another game. Let's do Mortal Kombat. And I'm, you know, I beat him for like the first four or five times in Mortal Kombat, and then I couldn't beat him again. And it, it's incredible, like to Kelly and Larry's uh, their experience. It it just took them hours to become dominant versus me. I mean. It took me decades to get to this point, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty bad. So now we don't play because I hold them back and we don't play <sighs> Fortnite anymore. Cause I hold them back. I'm the, I'm the loser. I'm the, so I, I got to figure something out we, so we can play a uh, team based or squad or something. I'm not going to play against them because then it'll just destroy my self-esteem. So <laughs> I just get too upset when I play these days because I don't like to lose. And that's just, yeah, it's just yeah don't play Elden Ring then. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I do want to steer it back to PC Talk. Uh, I know uh, we're getting near the end here, but yeah. what is everybody's, if you could pick through your entire history with with gaming, PC gaming, all gaming, because we're, we're clearly that we're going to talk about all games. What is your favorite piece of hardware from all that time? Like, what was the thing that, like, you think about with a smile, I think? Like, the thing that was like, oh, that just made it so special. So, like, could be favorite PC entirely, or it could be, like, like maybe RGB kind of, like, changed your life. Uh, probably I, I, not I, for us, but. I remember a very distinct, uh, the best hardware demo I ever got. Um, I got a call from a guy named Ross Smith from a company I'd never heard of called 3DFX. And uh, best early beta demo I'd ever, ever seen. He's just like, I've got something to send you. Tell me if you like it. That was the pitch. And this 3DFX board showed up along with the first 3D beta of a game called Tomb Raider, which I'd never heard of before. And I think like that and kind of like, you know, your first uh, experience in virtual reality, those are the kind of like watershed I've seen the future 
moments and yeah, the 3D FX, you know, the first 3D accelerator really uh, uh, for, for, for the kids out there <laughs> when 3D wasn't a thing that all graphics cards could do. Um, that was kind of mind blowing. Um, and, and of course, Tomb Raider was, you know, a huge hit as well. And I think 3D FX kind of helped that, um, you know, you, you were an elite gamer if you could do the 3D FX version of Tomb Raider. Right. But, uh, that was, that was the coolest, just try this and, uh, and see the future demo. I, I can remember in hardware. What about uh, Larry or Frank? I think it was Larry. I think when I think back and I don't have one with me and I should get one. And it's so simplistic, but it meant so much to me was the original Atari joystick. It was a simple stick. It had one button. And I just remember that being so brilliant. And I love that so much. And so because my, my first one of my first games I ever had laid my hands on was Pong which of course had dials, but then this, this to me was just so different because I played a game called star Raiders, which was uh, from the, from the early eighties. I used to go into the high school um, uh, computer lab early. I begged them to who goes to school early. This guy uh, would beg to go in early and open up the lab. And, and I remember because I would buy the teacher, the newspaper and a coffee and he would sit there and read the paper while I was playing the game. That was, that was kind of the, that was kind of the give and take. So I remember that, that and that being, being able to trans being transported into another world with that simple joystick was just to me magical because it, it, that's the only thing it ever did. You couldn't do anything else with it by, by itself. It was useless. You know, with a keyboard, you can do other things you can play games and type emails. But this thing was was single purpose. So I just remember that so vividly. And that was that was the moment that I said, I, I, I this this is the future. I, it kind of makes me pine for a modern day USB version of it. I'm sure somebody's made one, but right. a recreation of the original 26th century uh, joystick. That, of course, it wouldn't break after right. three weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's all other thing. I had a lot of them. All right, Frank, what about you? Um, I'm not sure if I got the name correct. All right. Uh, so I apologize if I didn't. But when I was really young, my. Um, my brother-in-law had uh, the first computer in a home that I ever experienced. Like he had a computer for work at his, at his house. And uh, he also had a laptop for work back then. This was, uh, but it wasn't really a laptop. It was what those things used to be. Right. And there was a game that was the first multiplayer game I ever experienced. I, it was a flying game. I think it was called F29 retaliator or F22 retaliator. So I was trying to Google it to see if I could find it now, but you you dial up together via modem. You'd have a host and you'd have a client, right? And you dialed into one computer from the other computer. And me and my nephew would sit there and we would dogfight each other in this in this game. And it's two computers connected to one another. And that was the first time I experienced a computer to computer multiplayer experience because before that it had always been uh, Atari. You're both sharing one screen, right? And I that that game just stands out to me because I was like, this is one of the most fun experiences I'm ever having because I'm playing with somebody else, but we're in two different rooms in the house, and it was a fight. It was just a flying game, and your dog. It was just a moment that was that left an impression on me. Like this is an absolute blast. Granted, I was like ten or eleven years old, twelve years old. No idea that the internet, what the internet was, how it would emerge, how it would transform gaming. 
but it was an impressive time that it left an impression on me that I just thought, man, this is so much fun. This is more fun than any other, like, and I didn't even know what local multiplayer was at that time, right? Like, you know, two game pads on a TV that, um, it, it just left a huge impression. And, uh, I think that's why multiplayer gaming is because it is just so, so much fun it has taken off as much as it has. I mean, it is the predominant way to game nowadays, I think on, at least on PC. Yeah, human the human adversary or the teammate is just it's it we haven't gotten to the point where AI is going to take over for that yet but playing against another human is is always the the ultimate challenge it feels like so I I can get that so well, yeah. with them I, I actually I remember my first multiplayer experience as well you mentioned that Frank I, I remember distinctly it was either at 15 strike eagle 2 or 3 um, and I was actually playing it over modem to uh, now Falcons VP, and we were both in F-15s, uh, you know, playing co-op, going to bomb something. I remember, you know, panning over to, it wasn't VR, you had to, you know, physically move the joystick to look out the window, and there was another F-15 with a human piloting it and that was uh that was a watershed moment so i know exactly that feeling of like wow i've never seen anything like that before we're gonna go play together and bomb something See, hey, well your flight well. school background did help out yes <laughs> there you go tell your that parents you're in the simulator <laughs> you're in the simulator training for combat yeah but i remember it and you know this is 30 something years ago but i remember it being a smooth experience like there wasn't a bunch of lag there wasn't a bunch of issues the graphics didn't look like they looked today, but back then that's the best we had ever seen. So yeah. it was incredible back then to see what, but I remember being a very positive experience, but to your point, Gordon, about like NPCs and AI, like that's obviously all going to emerge, but um, there's something about knowing the person that you're playing with or against and just having a respectful uh, uh, taunting with them. <laughs> You know, like the anonymous people yeah. that you play with online, there's like disrespectful taunting and it, can, it kind of makes it undesirable to play. But when you know the other person, it's like this poking and this prodding and this teasing and you know you're going to face them. So you're not going to like do, you know, horrible, horrible, disgusting joke uh, commentary to them or anything. And just that kind of gameplay, which eventually led to land parties, which is something I kind of miss, honestly, because um, that was... Again, there was respect and, you know, there was a different environment of I'm in a physical presence. If I piss the person off next to me too much, they can actually punch me. So I'm not going to do they something will. like they that. Did. <laughs> and, or they did, right? Um, but that was really cool, too. You met so many cool people and you got to see their PCs. A lot of ideas uh, for PC designs and stuff came from us going to LAN parties and just looking at what other people were doing and saying, yeah. man, that would be really cool. if We could productize that. I miss that. I miss that stuff. Um, Gordon, do you, do you remember the land party on the Hornet aircraft carrier, the aircraft carrier behind you that uh, Nvidia yes. put on? Yes. That that was uh, one of the more fun events that uh, the gaming has ever had. But uh, yeah, land party in an aircraft carrier. <laughs> I do miss land parties. They are just, especially the ones that go to like the twenty four hour ones. I'm yeah. I'm too old for that now, but it is such a blast. Yeah, yeah. Did, after about sixteen hours, it didn't smell that good. But, uh, but uh, they were we had fun. fun. We had fun. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. <sighs> Gosh, you know, I could go on for hours and hours and hours, but I, I know I got to end it because um, people got to actually do their day jobs, unfortunately. Too bad, you know, they, we can't get our companies just to pay to do have us do this all day. But uh, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and talking about this because it just, it's just, it's just so exciting to, to think 
how far we've come. And you just, you look back, you just turn your head back around, you look at that road that goes on for, you know, 30, 30 years. And the, there were some difficult moments here, but we've gotten here. And, you know, as much as people, the, everybody still wants to argue, it does feel like, you know, we're, we're legitimate. All gamers are, are, you know, it's an accepted thing now. And, and uh, I just, I just kind of love this, love, love this, uh, this talk. Yeah. I mean, I, I, wanna, I wonder I'll, where we'll be in 20 more. Right. We've come so far. Can, can we, can we put, can we put a, this on the calendar for 20 years from today oh. and we'll have the same conversation. <laughs> we will all be in a nursing home together. I mean, a about. great land party. <laughs> M- misremembering <laughs> things. And over at Sapphire, uh, is a graphics card maker. He's always suggested like, Oh, I, he's also like, I'm going to make a, a retirement home, but it's going to be for old gamers. Yeah. Cause it's going to have like a land party area and you know, all the games set up and, Right, <laughs> you could retire there and just play games against other old, old, older folks who play games. Just live out your golden years having fun. <laughs> I mean, when I have that much time on my hands, honestly, that's going to be one of the things I'm going to do. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of games I haven't been able to play all the way through. A lot of shows I haven't been able to see all the way through. So, has your stack of shame become your stack of retirement now? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> He's saving <laughs> yeah, it for later. Pretty much. pretty much. Just don't lose backwards compatibility, <laughs> please. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Or I'll just have to keep all my uh, all my old uh, uh, consoles. Oh man! But yeah, that's actually a really cool idea, Gordon. That'll be fun. The and, old uh, the old folks' retirement home where it's just all 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 gaming all the time, board games, console, yeah. PC, whatever you want, portable. And we'll and connect all is, we'll connect all the homes around the country and around the world, right? Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's an entire like it's an entire franchise. You sort of like you connect them, and you'd have to have so they'd have to have comfortable. So the problem is. Gaming chair is mm, not that good, but if you get yeah. a good, you know, like a uh, easy, you know, the, the lazy boy. No, we're going to need gaming wheelchairs by then. Oh, yeah. And then high speed internet to all of them, you know. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, while you guys are doing all of that, I'm going to set up cameras and live streams because I want to see all the old people taunting each other and cursing at each other and getting into fights and saying, <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> I want to, I want to kick because there's, Few things are funnier than seeing that. So, it will never uh, change. I'm sure we'll be exactly the same. <laughs> I remember Leroy Jenkins. He was a friend of mine. <laughs> uh, uh, does anybody know what happened to Leroy by any chance? I actually worked with somebody who was in that in that raid party. Really? Yeah, he tells the story. I, I don't really want to talk too much about it, but I'll just say it, it's it, he has some interesting st- behind the scenes stories about that about Leroy. <laughs> Still one of the greatest internet moments uh, ever. <laughs> that is just a nat- the thing is just a natural moment though because I I I play games where it's not even like they're emulating Leroy Jenkins. It was like it'll be like there's always the yo- somebody wants to YOLO it. It's like why are you doing this? You know, like you're <laughs> you're reducing our resources by just rushing up the middle and getting mm-hmm. killed here, but yet you are doing it again. Anyway, <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> Uh, that was awesome. Can't be helped. It's human nature. There's, there's definitely somebody in the universe who needs to stu- study the, the things that happen in games and how they're actually tied to human evolution. Like, could you, I'm sure there was like, or de-evolution. <laughs> yeah, like probably four million years ago. Like, okay, we got to take this T-Rex. Of course, they weren't. T-Rex. We got to take the humans. mastodon down. <laughs> yeah, but somebody was like, I'm going. It's like, no, wait. And they, they did it. They rushed off to take that mastodon down by themselves. And it did. And then work the out. one in a billion that survived in doing it. 
is a hero and we built monuments and statues for <laughs> the one time it worked oh i hate that because everyone's like don't do it don't do it oh it actually worked oh yeah. i can't say anything now so and we're all descended from that guy which is why we all kind of want to do it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god maybe we are turning our dna uh, but this is a blast i really gotta let you go because i'm gonna get yelled at here so Thanks, anyway i, I do i, I want to say bye to everybody uh check back next week for your fix of pc talk on the full nerd i'm gonna go from box uh again according to the boxes on my screen thank you for coming uh you know him and love him major nelson larry herb just got his brand new falcon northwest system with a uh, halo video card in it That's yeah crazy. we're gonna follow me on instagram or twitter and you can see uh, updates on that i definitely want to see that and down in my other box i have uh, uh amd's uh frank azor and of course goes all the way back to alienware hey thanks for having us guys this was uh, a lot of fun really uh would love to do it in 20 years <laughs> i could go on for another four hours of this this is like i wish we could and of course we have the og of pc gaming machines kelt reeves of falcon northwest uh, thanks gordon and i know og just means old guy but I appreciate <laughs> <it> anyways <laughs> pretty much we are because we are old guys and of course adam patrick murray is going to hit the off switch here uh thanks everybody this was awesome uh we'll definitely do it again we'll see you later bye thanks <laughs> <laughs>